Welcome to Into the Paint Podcast. This is Bound Art Book Fair, Special Edition Volume 2. I'm actually recording this from Mexico. I am slightly outside of Mexico City at a wedding, and um, I feel really grateful to be here celebrating the wedding of two of my friends, um, Lucia and Victor. So shout out to Lucia Ortiz, who um, was my homie at Goldsmiths in the Master's Arts Administration and Cultural Policy course. Um, Might sound a little bit different. I'm recording outside. I'm at this lovely hotel. Um, The town, um, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's called uh, Yautepec. And uh, it was a lovely wedding last night. And I'm actually feeling kind of... uh, kind of chipper today. I think the jet lag has worn off. There is no hangover here. I've spent enough time in uh, in my formative years making a fool of myself at weddings, getting way too plastered, um, but I'm still having a great time. Gotta say that mezcal was looking a little bit tempting. Um, today, I walked around. I found some local... Uh, Some local food had, you know, two of the most incredible tacos I've ever had. Um, Living in the UK, it's sort of hard to find uh, decent Mexican food, especially in London. Um, Interesting because actually Rafael Melendez and I spoke about that very topic in our conversation at Bound. But we'll jump right into Bound. It feels like Manchester is very far away. seems like the book fair happened ages ago, but actually it's only a couple weeks ago. Um, I still feel um, very grateful for all the conversations that I had with all the exhibitors who were at Bound. Um, I still feel very grateful towards the organizers, Lillian, Rob, and Joe, who had me at the fair. Um, I had a great time, and I'm hoping that this format of setting up shop at live events could maybe turn into something that happens more often and, you know, maybe expand a little bit further beyond the publishing world. It's it's one that I have uh, existed in for a while, and I know pretty well, so it seems like a good place to start. I don't know. We'll see. So I hope you all enjoyed Volume 1 of Bound Art Book Fair. I've gotten uh, great responses from listeners. And on this episode, we have Rafael Melendez, Richard Phoenix, Tamsin Green, and Jane Howard. So let's jump right in and hear from them. Art Book Fair, Day 2, Interview 1, here with Rafael Melendez. How are you? I'm well, I'm good. (laughs) How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm like, I feel more here today than I did yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a day to get like acclimated. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm good. Um, I had a really good night last night. Um, 
went out to dinner to a place called Kala, getting to know Manchester. So yeah. yeah. Have you been to Manchester before? It's my first time. I'm yeah. Really, yeah, I was really excited about it. Took cool. the train here. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's a, it seems like there's a lot to... It reminds me of like a... Like some like early '90s like Austin kind of like architecture. Interesting. Like when it was barely I haven't been to Austin in ages, but I lived there for five years before moving okay, cool. to the West Coast. And uh, I don't know for some reason it kind of gives me this like vertigo feeling of like taking me back somewhere. Or something. Yeah, it. I've for me I've been feeling like feels like those trips when you go from New York to like Boston. Or yeah. Detroit or something where you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of familiar, but not, it's not like, doesn't feel like home exactly. You know, there's something a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a place that I visit. I'm like, ooh, I wonder if, how my life would be if I lived here. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I'll, I'll definitely come back Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. But you've been in the UK for how long? Um, I moved, well, I've been visiting for 13 years. I moved here almost six years ago. It'll be six okay. years in January. Okay, cool. Or, yeah, but I you're from New York originally, right? Originally, I'm um, from all over. But, okay. Uh, I was born in California, Fresno. Okay. Uh, then my parents are from Texas. Mm. My mom's from Mexico. My dad's Mexican, Texas. Okay. And, uh, so, but I don't have a connection to Texas or California. So, right. yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Have you been to Mexico ever? Yeah, I yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. I yeah, love it. I'm, I'm uh, going there in like two weeks for the first time for a wedding. Which it, what part? Um, it's it's like south of Mexico City, um, Oaxaca. It's, I think yeah. it's like in the region of Oaxaca, okay. but um, uh, the exact town. Um, I should know the name okay. by now because we've been talking about this for a year with my friend. She's actually from Mexico City originally. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's for, it's her way. Yeah, geography's not my uh, forte. No, so no, I don't, don't believe everything I say <laughs> when it comes to geography. <laughs> Um, yeah, Mexico is amazing. One of the places that we love. Uh, we start. I started going there with as a kid with my grandma. So I kind of know they're from Monterrey, so northern Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then uh, I've been to Mexico City, and I've been to uh, San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, Guadalajara, uh, Tulum, of course. Yeah. And Hobosh, uh, uh, Merida. Wow. I mean, you've really seen it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who moved to Yucatan, um, which I, I've heard is also very, it's like a lot of a lot of American tourism, but it's her life went from like Bushwick despair to like being on the beach every day. Yeah. And she's she's Cuban to speak Spanish, so I feel like good for her. It's living it, her best life. It's gorgeous and like new places keep popping up. I heard that they're gonna create this like uh, like a train railway uh, thing that goes through the Mayan uh, region. Oh wow! And it's gonna connect everything. I mean, I think it's gonna be like people go now because I think it's gonna be really spoiled with yeah, all the yeah. uh, new development that they're doing. So there's like a lot of new, th- but there's all these little pockets of paradise. Yeah. Um, when you go. Amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. You'll so, have a good time. And if you like Mexican food, you know. Oh, I love, I miss Mexican food so much. Yeah. Here. It's like so hard to find. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in London. Yeah. There's a huge community. Of, well, it, uh, it's in like Lewisham, right? Or. Well, there's, I mean, I live 
central, north central, and right, there's Islington. Yeah, yeah, Camden Islington. There's a place called uh, Mestizos. Oh, okay, I've and heard of this. It's like a little yeah. market, right. mercado yeah. kind of store, and they have all the things. That, I mean, my mom was just coming from Houston. She goes, "What do you want me to bring you? Like Mexican <laughs> stuff?" I go, "Mom, there's everything here." Yeah. Like, like why are you gonna pack your like suitcase with the heavy? Mexican produce or yeah. whatever. <laughs> or maybe it might be illegal. I don't know. Well, uh, you know what I think is hard to find here is tomatillos. Oh, uh, yeah. There's like specific things like uh, some of the packaged stuff I think is easier, but like some of the fresh, yeah. like, yeah, yeah it is, um, is is difficult to find. But um, yeah, I, I miss like, you know, being from New York. Uh, how long did you live in New York? 20. 20 years. 20 years, okay. yeah. So yeah, just being used to kind of like hearing Spanish um, all the time um, I kind of miss that you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah it was I mean when I moved there I thought I was the only Mexican and like you know after a few <laughs> years like you start you know there's more and it's the same thing in London when I oh I see when I moved yeah. to London I'm like oh it's like there's no like Mexican and then like now I hear Spanish all over the oh, streets interesting. like tons yeah, yeah. of Spanish when I lived in South London I was hearing more of it um um I think yeah I'm not sure what what the you know community kind of um what demographically the community is in south london but um, yeah but i remember hearing yeah more kind of i because i also think the spanish that i'm used to being from new york is more like puerto rican yeah or mexican Dominican. spanish yeah exactly yeah. yeah um yeah so the more i live there the more the, the least unique i am yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny way to put it but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your practice and what you're showing at the fair. Yeah. Um, well, a lot. I've just really recently got into working with AI. Okay. And I really got into file sharing or working with like uh, trying to figure out how to work with the internet because we're. I mean, I'm always on it. Yeah. And uh, doing research and stuff, and I keep bumping into these PDFs and stuff, and I've just never really paid attention to it until recently. And I'm like, what? Like, I could literally. I'm also like a huge book collector, ephemera collector, things that are like, you know, that were at one point like printed in abundance to give out to audiences, like at galleries or museums. And now they're really hard to find, and right. the prices are really high on yeah. some of these things, or at least, for, you know. And I'm like, oh, but there's a PDF, and I could download the PDF, and I could print the PDF. Sure, yeah. And make like an identical copy to something that was printed in '91 mm. or, you know, a long time ago, and have the same thing, and there shouldn't be a difference or whatever, or it's close to what I want. And like, I guess I fetishize like the paper and having you know contact with like a physical contact with with the actual pamphlet or booklet that I print out right instead of like paging through it uh, electronically right on the screen so that was mo my motivation to do some of the pieces so it's kind of like based on this kind of like um, I guess a new genres type of uh, practice of like working with things that are not really seen in the um, public eye as art, right. and turning them into art yeah, for me. Yeah. So I only print like a very small amount of the pieces, and that kind of also kind of motivates me because I start thinking like, oh, is it 
are people going to think like I only printed 40 because I can't afford to print like a thousand? Right. <laughs> or uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it makes my brain like... There's a lot of associations. Of, yeah. Right? yeah. So I kind of think of all that stuff. And, you know, that's most of the motivation is that and also having like these kind of like art crushes on some of these like artists and trying to figure out what to do with it. So then these like books and publicate like zines or fanzines or like this example this fan box yeah yeah I wanted to talk about the fan that, box actually um, that I made for Felix Gonzalez Torres because uh, I was a big fan of Duchamp and I was wanting I've always wanted his traveling suitcase mm. and I kind of was that was the inspiration behind this box but also like the idea of using these companies that are at, around in the internet where you could print things that are on demand kitschy yeah. or it could be seen kitschy or also like if you want to create a business that they're like you know oh pack you know print on the box to brand yourself right but then you right. kind of subvert that idea and like oh maybe i could make it into this art piece that's kind of similar to like a duchamp suitcase right right so those and then i and then i was also making connections to like felix's idea of minimalism and kind of like how the minimalist was it tony smith that uh did that uh, die piece which is I'm not uh, sure. that one ton uh forged steel like ah, cube okay and his um inspiration was like oh i didn't have to go to the studio i just sent you know where the foundry the dimensions of the piece and they delivered right. it to the gallery and that yeah, was a shock right the instructable yeah idea movement yeah and how felix was trying to subvert it by saying like oh you know i'm doing the same thing but with these posters that people can take away yeah. instead of like this one ton piece that I mean, it's just, so i also make up my own history sure <laughs> my, yeah, my yeah. Art history. but it's also i i think that's an interesting um connection to make because i always think about like the scale of felix gonzalez torres uh felix's work is um you know, sometimes it's infinite, yeah, right? But um, it might appear very small. Like, so if we think about, like, the, you know, the candy um, yeah, pieces. The piles, yeah. The piles, like... Or spills, whatever. You know, it's like it, it becomes uh, at a large scale through time and through interaction, right? So it's actually kind of interesting to hear you thinking about, like, quantity, like, small quantities, um kind of almost like working on the like um, uniqueness yeah on the uniqueness of something where actually a lot of Felix has this kind of conceptual infiniteness to it yeah you know yeah it's kind of like a little bit of a ebb and flow I guess like you know like sometimes it's that and then sometimes it's here yeah Um, and I noticed there's a couple Felix pieces on the table yes I rearranged the so there's a pamphlet, there's a, a business card, there's a fanzine, <laughs> and then there's a, a novel. Oh, okay. Cool. But the novel just says Gonzalez Torres, a novel, but it's yeah. like a lot of quotes by uh, Baudrillard oh, that are not he's not credited. But though. is that a is that a repro of something that actually exists in the world? It's or? kind of like um, you know, like when you make a salad with whatever you have in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Okay, kind of cool. <laughs> that That's kind a good of, way to put it. <laughs> kind of like um, but it tastes good I think yeah exactly <laughs> that's that's the most important thing yeah a, a lot of the pieces also are not exact 
facsimiles? Yeah. There, there are things added by you or changed by you. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, there's the uh, Richard Prince. Yeah, this recent um, catalog that he did, and it was a take on uh, Rodney Dangerfield's like uh, quip or something like that. It was like a joke piece, but it was also like very simple. But not simple, and for some, mm. I mean, I've always been a Richard Prince fan, but like you know, but I guess somehow I there's some kind of disrespect in the, in the, in yeah. the way to it. Right. Know. Well, I do feel. Do you find Richard Prince to be a semi like sort of a disrespectful voice? Like sometimes the way he appropriates other people, or I don't. I don't think so. I mean, to me, it's very motivated. But you're not like you know. Sometimes it's like people it's hard to get and I kind of at one point I took you know the like I was kind of um, examining my kind of attraction to him okay it's his work not to him but to his work <laughs> but in a way I you know I kind of don't know what I'm doing sometimes and I like that and then when I finish it I'm like I don't know if I like it anyway but I my thing is just I just want to complete a you know project yeah so yeah, and then back to his, um, to kind of like almost disrespecting his pieces. And I don't know if he disrespects Pete. I know that he gets accused of, I think it's bad, yeah. But, you know, a lot of people do it. Coons does it. And he's sure. only been in trouble once or twice. Let's just think Richard does it. And he gets in trouble every time. <laughs> right. Well, there's the famous, there's the Marlboro Man. Yeah. That's kind of where it starts, right? And then your claim here. Like with having your name on the front cover, yeah, and then also is this like dimensionally and yeah. materially? Is it similar to it's the supposed original? to be? It was yeah. on the it was on the gallery website, and I was like, oh, I thought I had finished all the publications for the fair, and I'm like one last one, and I took the tags and I send it to the AI, and they, the AI sent it back, and we reworded every. I mean, me and the AI. Are, okay, and so everything's like somehow has a tinge of, of Richard. And Interesting. So it's our baby. But I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, and then I'm, I'm curious to know about, like, the the AI um, the AI that you're working with. Are there specific like, um, text generators that you are finding more interesting than others, or... I mean, I think it's interesting for me because, well, the AI for writing is the, what is it, chatbot, something, okay. GPT? Oh, the chat GPT. Yeah. The open AI. Yeah, yeah. and that took a while because it was very ostentatious in the beginning. I'm like, wow, this, but then I kind of liked it because I'm like, who fucking even talks this way? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I kept some of them, and I think, uh, as a joke, I was kind of posting them on uh, Instagram. <laughs> and I, right. I, think, uh, I don't know. I'm not like, you know... I just thought they were funny. But, yeah. But, um, but now I kind of figured out like certain commands that you could give it so it could write like a normal mm. like, it's like sounding I think prompting, text. right? You have to like prompt it in a certain way. You just have to say, oh, syntax, uh, sentence structure, and what's the other one? Like three things that I write that, that it just gives you a normal. I write, oh, can you just, oh, grammar, syntax, and sentence structure. Right, right. And it just gives me a normal text. Interesting. And uh, but it took me about a, like no almost a year to figure that out. Mm. 
at first I was like, this is, I'm not, I don't know. Like, I don't think, this sounds really like, <laughs> like I'm like some corporate jerk or something. Yeah. This sounds like trying to sound like it, it always seems to spit back things that are way too flowery in yeah. its language. But um, are you using AI at all um, as far as image generation goes? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, these are all kind of, like, these are, this one's more connected to Franz West. So we're looking at The End of Seduction. Which is a Baudrillard. His, uh, he wrote a book called the, uh, uh, essays called The End of Seduction. And so these are all images that are created through prompt-based yeah. AI? Um, a, yeah, but I was, I, I went to Freeze and they had this, Gogosian had this amazing, like, uh, Franz West, like, uh, display. Oh, And I okay. kind of fell in love with him again after that. And I went to the studio or the computer, and I'm like, oh my god, what's he? Everything's a sausage, and you know. <laughs> yeah. And then I kind of figured out that that's like he was working with the sausage somehow. Or whatever. Yeah. It also kind of, yeah, it has this like fleshy kind of worm, kind of intestinal yeah. thing. It's pretty. I think it's pretty grotesque, but in a pretty way. But not yeah. even pretty, but a disguised way. I don't know. But basically, for this prompt, I just wrote pink sausage, translucent, with gooey, splattered background or something like okay. that. And it came out with this. And once you have the original, it could start to learn what you like, and it right. starts to give you more. Yeah. And um, It's interesting, because it's sort of like when you, you know, in a traditional artistic sense, like once you make that breakthrough piece, and then you're like, oh, now I need to make a body of work. Yeah. Right? Uh, sometimes it just takes that one to get yeah. you know, right? Well, well, the way I felt about it, because when it um, generates the images, you start to edit like on the spot. Oh, okay. And then I you see. can save it to a file on a folder if you like it. Because you know, if you don't like it, then it keeps generating. You keep asking it to generate until you get tired of that, you know, you go on to the next file or whatever. Right, but right. do the same thing because... I don't know, it's some kind of, like, intuitive way of working with it. Like, you're like, I'm not going to get anything else. From, or you don't trust you're going to get anything new from that one file. Sure. So then you go to the other one, and then you think you're going to get something else, and you kind of do. Um, yeah, it's kind of, um, you know when the series is complete or something. Yeah, yeah. but you could keep adding. That's, that's the amazing thing, because if you work as in a series, you could actually keep adding to the folder mm. and I had all these files and that's where this zine came back so I was like oh what am I going to do with all these files like right. I don't want to print them on canvas I don't want right. to like print them on a t-shirt sure. and I kind of just decided that's to print true. them as a zine interesting and uh, I was I'm trying to make a, ser- a 24 uh, booklet series um, with these so I made two uh, this, this is another one but this is more like a banana. Okay. So, the, yeah, the end of Baudrillard. But I misspelled it. Or I didn't catch the misspelling. That's, so. That makes it even yeah, better. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. That's just, what I thought. Don't say you, you misspelled it. Just I'm blaming like, it on the AI. Yeah, exactly. It's like a technological error. But I liked it because it's like it's not natural. You know, like I'm not perfect. Yeah, no, yeah nothing yeah. here is kind of... Uh, it's, it's interesting because I think, do you think we're getting to the point now where, because people always used to say human error, this is like a human error, but now it's getting to the point where now it's like a, the error can be on the technology. Almost. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. it happens, but yeah. I think it's, I don't know, 
I'm, I do it just to like as a joke because I'm like I know that in, in deep down it's you know it's, I can't blame any anything else or anything. Right. Else. Yeah. <laughs> do you um is your main sort of output as an artist in the in like in a publishing practice or do you make work that is um like maybe not represented at the table today? Um. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. No. I my. My whole idea, like I've always wanted to just be a drawing artist. I would, these are some of my drawings, by the way. Okay, great. So I would just, you know, I just thought I was going to do drawings, but then like people are like, oh, drawings, there's no market in drawings. Not that I have a market, but for some reason that's a conversation. Yeah. But they're like, oh, there's, you know, you need to do paintings. So you need, or everyone had an excuse for the drawings. They're like, oh, the drawings need to be bigger. So then I did bigger drawings. And like, but it's just like you know, they're that, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I've been I've been getting more into working like, yeah, on paper painting more kind of like immediate processes. You know, being like I've always been like a print head, but now I'm starting to really appreciate like drawing and painting in a new yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and ha- has that always been kind of like a practice for you? Drawing, you yeah, for sure. Towards? Yeah. I do miss it. Like even. Yeah, I miss it a lot, and but it's hard because like I'm so kind of uh, divided, and I have a studio in Bow, and it's pretty um, nice for on it's like 600 square feet. Yeah. So I have different stations, and okay. then I have like walls and stuff. So yeah, I go in, and you know, I have I work on different things, but because the way I work is like I literally go into some kind of like art trance, and I don't really sure. know what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. And then I'm always like you know down because I feel like I'm not doing anything and then when I start to look back at what I do I'm like oh I didn't you know it's kind of like a what is that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of like yeah thing I guess I'm like you transform yeah, yeah in the studio and then when I go home I'm like thinking that I'm not doing yeah so, right interesting so I do a lot of I do a lot of uh, uh, journals like okay kind of, so um, you work so you work on sort of a smaller scale yeah okay interesting because I'm yeah. trying to think like how big some of these this drawings one's might big. be this okay. is kind of like a 24 by 30 kind of size or maybe a bit bigger okay uh, and then these are like pages like normal like 8 by 12 8 okay, by 12 yeah. type of thing that's an envelope and these are all smaller ones yeah these are all um, when you move to London do, do you have a um, do you work with any galleries or no no yeah, yeah I'm just independent uh, I just didn't I've never had a knack for like you know starting that kind of like uh, conversation with the guy right, yeah I don't know why. But I guess, yeah, when, when you're doing things like publishing and, and engaging with the art world in, way, in like formats such as this, um, you know, you can kind of start to sustain yeah. in a way that kind of... So do you do a lot of book fairs? Do I've done... The, the way I started, I applied to this art fair in Barcelona, and they're like, oh, we, you'd be good in this, you know, in the book section. Okay, interesting. Because of the, what I proposed. And I guess because I was desperate or something, like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got there, but I had like an... In, I did these robot drawings with like a... What's it called? The... the it's a uh, plotter. 
like a robot plotter, so you'd feed the robot information, and then it would start. I see. Yeah, they yeah, would yeah. do these drawings, but oh, with okay. a pen. Not right. these ones, but something similar. Yeah, to right. And like one of those vinyl cutter things, yeah. but you could just put a pen in it, yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, how I started doing more robot AI kind okay, of stuff. And that was the first one that I did. And I took um, puzzles, like Felix Gonzalez Torres style puzzles, but with my drawings. Mm. And then I did copies of his. So it was uh, actually, it benefited me because it was almost having like a solo booth with my artwork. Right. Because they let me bring artwork. And I did yeah. like a 3D, 3D kind of like... Uh, so Lewitt style frame for one of the robot drawings. Yeah. So I was really getting into this experimental kind of like thing and I felt like, oh, I'm going to show like, you know, collectors the work and stuff. So that was really nice. And then they invited yeah. me the second time and I did this project, which was also kind of like after uh, Sturdivant, which is the woman appropriation artist. Uh, and this is da um, David, uh, David Hammond. So I did the two David Hammonds, like... Um, hoods and so oh, it was amazing. like you know I was able to do more and it was exciting and I did a copy of ah, the Prince go. poster but here's the Marlboro name, man and it was in Barcelona instead of oh know, cool and I did a Katie L Nolan one as well yeah so I was like okay you know you I know like as an artist you just kind of want to show your stuff sure and uh, because of I don't know maybe I'm lazy I haven't really met the right gallery or whatever well it's interesting because I'm actually thinking about so we have the Duchamp style box of yeah. uh, Felix's work but also when we think about like the table at an art book fair and the breadth of work that you're able to show in the confines of a table it is kind of in a way its own like Duchamp box right yeah. And the book can contain multiple works. You're actually able to kind of present a, a kind of like a broader gamut of work yeah. in this kind of uh, Format. context. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? um, Which is interesting. This is, yeah, this is a really interesting book. I'm curious to know more, and I think when we get back to London, we should sit down and do a full interview. A what? For the, a full interview for the oh, okay. podcast. I think that would be good. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to hear more about also your interest in Felix's work, because um, yeah, his he's some of his, the concepts at play in his work are very in, influential to me and in getting involved in publishing as well. And it's nice to see it so wet, well represented oh, on your table. Yeah, so I think when uh, when I was living in San Francisco and SF MoMA had a lecture of Felix and Charles Torres, and he showed up with Andre Rosen. I remember going, I was like, oh, like I'm really, I mean, it's, it was 1984, mm. like right before he died. Okay, yeah, away. yeah, I think he passed away in the mid-90s. 95, yeah. at the end of 95, because okay, I, I was yeah. in Mexico actually, so nearly the end, and I, and I came back to school, and I was like, oh, it was all over the news. Yes, was, yeah. like, but I remember hearing him like give that lecture and I was like god this artist is amazing yeah because yeah. he didn't have a studio he didn't carry like and he was actually really shy I, I was I heard or I, like for some reason and it was or I think he might have said that he was really nervous about giving this like lecture mm -hmm. and I've always wanted to find that I'm sure they recorded it so I've yeah. always wanted to hear well that would be an interesting yeah um, piece to maybe 
think about how, yeah, its reproduction, yeah, and dissemination, yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's the the Felix Gonzalez Torres Foundation. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that would if it might be if you're in touch with them at all. Or? I didn't. Well, because the box, I don't. That was the other thing because I'm not like skirting with the law and like not like, intellectual property. Yeah. And, yeah. And having to, I didn't want to ask permission and then have them say no to this box. So it kind right, of was like, right. you know, just, I just played it cool and like, okay, I'm just going to make it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, it seems to really celebrate Felix's work. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's it based on the book. I don't know if I told you, but it's like the Guggenheim uh, retrospective book. Oh, I see. That, uh, right. They published when they did the re- retrospective. Right, the the color profile, yeah. the some of the labeling. Yeah, no, it's it's super beautiful. I think it's very much Nancy like Spector. Like in, in the in the vein, it's in the style of Felix and keeping, yeah, keeping Felix's practice in mind. Yeah, as you're, you're going, going into it. Yeah, it would, you know, I'd sent things to be made, and I didn't know what they were going to look like when they got back. The first box was enormous. I was like, I, "That's not going to work." <laughs> yeah, that's and not, I was, yeah, that's not going to work. It looked more like a coffin than, a, and I'm like, "Oh, I yeah." Have to get us, and I thought that the boxes are going to be bigger. This box, but it came back, back smaller. But yeah. then I like it because I'm not like good with like measuring things, and I didn't measure anything that was going to go in the box. I was just imagining what how everything would fit and I thought I needed more space but I actually don't Mm. so it kind of works you know it works perfect actually so yeah that's amazing it has some quotes I mean some of these quotes are really intense like this one here let's see it's about his um, lover Ross right before he passed away so this is from his lover about him yeah so I'm just gonna read it so people can hear it on the podcast I would say that when he was becoming less of a person, I was loving him more. Every lesion he got, I loved him more. Until the last second, I told him, I want to be there until your last breath. And I was there to his last breath. And obviously, maybe folks are unaware, but I think Felix Gonzalez Torres fans will know that he eventually died of AIDS in the mid-90s. So... This is in reference to Ross. The I think in Ross died in '91. Oh, okay. So his, this is his writing about his lover. That died. Okay, I see. Like how he talked to his lover before he was passing away. He told him that he was going to be there. Right, right. For the whole like duration. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. I know. yeah. <laughs> well, Raphael, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for doing this interview. Really appreciated it. That was Rafael Melendez. Loved seeing Rafael's work. Um, thought it was super interesting, especially responding to some of these really big name artists that we're so familiar with. Um, especially seeing the Felix Gonzalez Torres work. Um, I love that he was responding to that. So it was a pleasure to meet you, Rafael. The next person I spoke to is Richard Phoenix, who was part of the public program at Bound, and we spoke about his new book. Do your own thing. So let's hear from Richard. Okay, so we're here with Richard Phoenix, um, who is um, showing a new publication of his that is out through Rough Trade. 
The title is called Do Your Own Thing. Um, and I just sat in on an amazing um, public program that was hosted by Bound Art Book Fair um, on Richard's work uh, working with um, people with disabilities in the arts um, in an arts organization yes. in Southeast London. Yes. So Richard, can you please tell me about your work? And <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, of course. I, yeah. So the. The event we just did was with an organization based here uh, in Manchester called Venture Arts, a supported studio. Uh, but my book, Do Your Own Thing, is about uh, a project called Do Your Own Thing that's run by an arts organization in southeast London called Heart and Soul. Heart and Soul. Uh, and so Do Your Own Thing is the sort of young people's taking part program, um, and it's for uh, young people with learning disabilities, autistic people um, from the ages of 10 to 25 where they can take part uh, in music and art, DJing, uh, videos, uh, radio as well. Amazing, um, yeah. And kind of like whatever they want to do, we help facilitate that. And then we also help people share the work. Uh, and are you um, a staff member at Heart and Soul? Or? So I'm a freelance. Uh, my, my job title is I'm an associate artist. Okay. There, so I kind of, I've been working uh, on the project for about 12 years. Uh, the role I have now, I've been doing for about seven or eight years. And I kind of look at uh, the sort of creative oversight of it, I guess. Yeah. So kind of looking at what's made, uh, how that could uh, be shared or how things could be linked together how things could work within the rest of the organization yeah um, kind of uh, getting collaborations uh, and partnership stuff together so we have worked with institutions like the Tate um, and London Symphony Orchestra mm. uh, working with the South Bank as well and in your presentation I noticed uh, I think the uh, don't step on my cheeseburger or a hamburger uh, don't, just don't burger. step on just my burger, burger. don't yeah. step on my burger <laughs> um the a lot of the images it looked like that was at the albany yes was that hosted and is um heart and soul one of the organizations within the albany yeah or? so oh, okay. yeah the albany theater in deptford yeah. like they have a lot of um not-for-profit community like arts groups based there amazing yeah and heart and soul's been there for i mean actually i don't know how long they've been in the building but they've been in deptford for like 36 years or something like yeah, that so, yeah um yeah, that's kind of our home. Amazing. And that's cool. where Do Your Own Thing takes place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so can you tell me a bit about the book itself, the publication? and Yeah, yeah. so uh, the publication, um, it kind of came from um, one of the questions in the event was around uh, sharing the work and, and how do you communicate what it is? Because yeah, it, it's, had a, you know, being a part of the project uh, and supporting people and seeing the work that's made and seeing the way that people approach the work has had a really profound and massive impact on the way that I work as an artist and a musician. Right, the people who are uh, immediately involved me. Yeah, yeah right. and, and so I kind of always, you know, I talk about it a lot and but I also have to write about it for like funding bids and for when we're working with other people. And I kind of had this realization that that writing never really goes anywhere. Mm. A few people might see it uh, to say yes we'll give you money or yes you're doing you're doing the project but actually it's a really satisfying thing to do to kind of get it all down on to paper and and kind of uh sort of sort of translate it into another form you know put it into words and so this the book was kind of me doing a, a massive 
report yeah <laughs> on it right but then kind of it, it's a lot uh you know i'm i'm the, the voice within it because there's so many people involved and so many people have like a really unique experience of it that i kind of had to tell it from my perspective because i that was the only thing that i knew was true sure so, yeah 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 it's interesting because we you know working in kind of like nonprofit charity sector there's a lot of writing that just kind of will reach the the desk of someone at the arts council yes. or, or something like this and um it's you know i think it's important that people are just aware of the work that we're, we're all doing yeah. right like especially um within the um i know there's like a, a few uh sort of npos in london that are kind of like um working with um um, like access, uh, especially against the, or uh, in the context of the uh, the social model of disability. Yes, yeah. right. Um, and it's just, I think it's important that people are aware of like what everyone else is doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like you know, the social model of disability. I, I guess for people listening, if sure. you, if you yeah. don't know what it is, it's uh, the idea that uh, people are disabled by their environment and uh, kind of attitudes uh, sort of it can be physical things like or it can be um, kind of attitudinal things so an example is um, say a venue if there there's no flat access there's stairs into the venue and there's no ramp then somebody uh, a wheelchair user won't be able to access that space and it's not uh, they're able to um, you know they would be able to enter the space because they have the the support of the wheelchair but it's the um there's a barrier put in by like no flat access into the space right. so, and, yeah. but then that can be like that idea can be transposed into the way that people um have what their attitudes towards things can be a barrier into people right and the idea is that the um the disability is 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 kind of um or yeah, the barriers put in place by social uh, social attitudes or constructs, not necessarily something that is inherent to the person. It's person, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's, it, people are disabled by by the environment. society. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the, you know, a lot of my job is just uh, uh, removing those barriers. Yeah, for, exactly. For, for people yeah. to be able to create. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is I think a fascinating thing because. You know, I'm really interested in structures and and the way that they can inhibit or they can really free people up. Mm. Um, you know, and, and and that across the board within arts and creativity, I think is it's not just limited to like learning disability or autism or like physical disabilities. I think when access is done well, it benefits everybody. Yeah, yeah. Know? So I think it's uh, it's I, I come from a very specific place, I suppose, but also I. I understand and believe that uh the things that i'm doing and the the way that we work is actually really beneficial for a much wider you know right. group of people and stuff so. and and do you feel i think there was a question posed to you in the program today about um sort of like um yeah what you get out of this kind of work or right. or maybe it wasn't ex exactly that but yeah i was wondering like um yeah what um because you spoke about your your history playing in music and playing yeah. in bands and kind of um the 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 movement of, of being in a band also kind of led you to 
you know, thinking about communities and, and kind of being in new spaces. So, yeah, I'm just curious to know a little bit more like how this, how doing this work resonates with you and how it fits into like a broader practice. Like right, yeah. Artist, yeah. Um, so I, I originally started doing a lot more just like music facilitation. Um, and, but then due to uh, like damage to my hearing oh, okay. um, and just physical damage uh, to it, I sort of moved more into visual art stuff. You know, I've, I've kind of painted since I was a kid but it's only recently that I've taken it more seriously. Mm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the people that I'm surrounded by, the people I support. And kind of, I think maybe when I was younger, I had that, you know, the idea of this, the artist is this quite tortured and the process of it is, it can be quite tortured and it'd be very serious. And, um, uh, and I think I've, I've learned a lightness sure, towards it yeah. and, and embracing the joy of creation and just yeah enjoying the process of making work um and enjoying sharing it and appreciating it and understanding what those those things are like um putting your work out into the world um can be a really joyous thing it doesn't have to be this yeah painful (laughs) it's interesting because also just seeing the images of uh don't step on my burger and hearing the song yeah like maybe you could walk through a little bit of, of like what that workshop was like or or um, uh, because it seems like uh, I, I mean, it's I, I, th- I think I overheard you talking to someone else, too, about like when people sort of when that the barrier is lifted and people are freed up. It's just this incredible kind of like joyous experience and seeing the images and hearing the music yeah like i definitely got a real sense of that you know and even just participating in kind of like moving around with the artists as as they're you know um uh uh, and that was one of the venture arts artists but as they're working with the the audience so maybe yeah can you um speak a little bit to that specific project or yeah um i mean so uh with uh, well, I think just going back to the social model of disability, I think it's this this uh, the idea that you are like um, there's a sort of uh, that that barrier to doing something, and I realised that a lot of people who I've supported, especially well, where, you know, the first experiences with with music, and you know, my own experience is sometimes being really shy, uh, not kind of like embracing the sort of being on stage and interacting with an audience talking to them and being confident about what you're doing and then you know then working with people who uh, get the opportunity and then are just incredible and they engage with the audience and they right. they perform in a way that I would find like incredibly difficult to do uh, but it, it just communicates and, and it's so direct and I kind of I'm interested in that idea of how like you know I'm I I prevent myself from doing things because of what I think other people might think about it mm. or like you know I'll stop myself from doing things because I sort of will worry too much about it and and actually it's nice to sort of be in a an environment where there's there's none of that but also like the, it's quite egoless as well and it's quite it, it's just sort of very. Uh, I don't know, straightforward. About right, like, right, you yeah. Know, this is who I am, this is what I do, and I'm actually really proud of it. Yeah, it's and amazing. And it was, you know, amazing to see some of that work 
and um, and the song is also just like yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. but right. but that song I love because it's like it. I think internally within say the people that work on do your own thing, it just became this like almost this like byword or like shortcut to explaining something. Right, and so. Uh, you know, it's like it was written in recorded 2016, but it's still very present and sure, it gets yeah. mentioned all the time. And it's like, oh, and it's that's included in your book, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole chapter about it being written, and um, and it's like, you know, people will say, oh, that's really don't stuff my burger, you know, and I'll get texts from people being like, oh, it's just come on again. I, I, I've just done this thing, and I think it was really like don't stuff my burger, right? Um, but I think the thing about that I really liked was it's this really throwaway comment. Like there was no workshop, there was no kind of like, uh, kind of linear thing in place for mm. it to exist. It was just somebody said it, and then I think it's an example of good facilitation. It's uh, this guy Dave just noticed that it got reaction, like people were laughing and and kind of kept saying it, and it was just sort of it it hit it, a chord. Yeah, it was just like kind of a contagious idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Very, like you know, it's right, very yeah. viral, and yeah. then. And then just that became a chorus to a song and then other people like were jamming on it. And then yeah. it, it was good because, you know, the bass line to the song just mimics, you know, don't step my burger. And the bass line just goes, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, yeah. And so it could be repeated really easily. It was like remembered and it just stuck around. Uh, and it was just one thing that somebody said that was just nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, in the book, I talk about uh, Dave um, has done a lot of like, improv comedy and you know i say a bit he said it sort of speaks to that of like an imp- improv comedy there's there's no good or bad mm. it's just that like yes it's you just got to keep going and it's the the value is generated by what you do with it yeah that's you know, it's, interesting, it's yeah. like how seriously do you take it and and you commit to it and the energy you put into it is is the value sure yeah so yeah, i yeah. think that's really like yeah, that's amazing and it's this thing where it's like it's it i like it because it's so like stupid but it's really relatable but it's also like deep deeply philosophical <laughs> yeah but it's also like you know when i read that the amount of times i say burger but then also the amount of times i say don't stuff my burger it's just sort of yeah i like it because it sort of is silly but then it's really like important it's kind of a mantra in, yeah. in a way yeah. yeah it's like an accessibility mantra yeah yeah and I think it's like what, whoever you are like you know you know it's these words that sometimes float around that uh, become like stand-ins and then maybe like it, it sort of like overcomplicates it but I think a burger is like pretty pretty universal yeah and you can kind of it puts you into the room and yeah, yeah exactly so so the book just came out or um, is it, well, it new on the shelf or? uh so it's it's actually yesterday was it's uh, six month oh, okay great. anniversary so it came out the uh, 25th of may this year uh and yeah i've been like slowly throughout the year doing like events around the country yeah uh, sort of sharing it and talking about it meeting other organizations that yeah do kind of similar work mm-hmm. um which is yeah and it's amazing cool. that it's out through rough trade yeah yeah um yeah i i guess it's it is is the work that you do with uh, people does it tend to be kind of music based or is it a lot of visual art it's a lot well? of visual art okay, as well yeah. yeah so I mean especially with do your own thing it's like it's, it's I got cross arts you know and I think the really good thing about it is 
we encourage a lot of like cross pollination you know yeah, like yeah. people will be musicians and artists and they'll have a radio show and they'll make yeah. their own videos and they'll be a dj as well i love that and and it's just sort of like not putting barriers or like not putting like really like hard lines between what those things are and we sure. just encourage this sort of constant flow so on 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 the day of like do your own thing there's sessions going on but people can come come and go as they please yeah and you know it's happened in the past where people have come in and they've uh had an idea for a song and so then they'll go into the studio and they'll record it and then they'll take that recording to the live music group and they'll learn it and then there'll be a live performance at the end but in the meantime they'll go to the video session and they'll make a music video for it mm. and then that'll be shared and we'll put that wow. up on youtube yeah. and that's just and they make artwork for it in the art session and you know it's this thing where that can all happen within like a three-hour period um and that's another thing with it is this like you're sort of saying i talked to this person about this i, I can't talk about this like tap you know once it's it's on it's just it just it, flows yeah. yeah yeah that's amazing and and we had to like extend the day because we uh we do a regular sharing of everything that's been made and mm. people get to talk about their work and we had to extend it because of so much stuff and how often do these uh do these days happen so this is actually yeah. just once a month okay but that's then, still pretty frequent. Yeah, yeah. it comes around yeah, quicker. Right. We, we're always we're always like everybody, like even you know everybody that works there and parents and cares. Always like, oh, so next week. So it always just feels like next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have like stuff in between. So we have uh, bits of funding that support individual ideas or smaller group projects, and so we we try and be very um, responsive to people's ideas and what they want to do. Okay, and then yeah. we can kind of put in extra sessions for that to happen and then we'll have like specific projects that will happen with maybe a smaller group of people and yeah yeah so and and how do people find how do people sign up or is it just kind of drop in or oh uh, yeah people do yeah. sign up yeah. um and it's 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 interesting it's, it's a lot of word of mouth yeah and i think once you get known within um uh you know there's lots of parents groups and lots of kind of you know i think probably like loads of whatsapp groups and email lists sure, and, yeah. and you know we do outreach to schools uh but it's kind of i think if if one young person comes and they enjoy it then like their parents and carers will just tell everybody that they know that there's this thing happening and yeah um we're currently pretty much always hitting our limit which is i think the maximum is about 50 people a session uh which is still enormous it's, it's a lot of people yeah. um and it's you know it's, it's it's always interesting managing that amount of people yeah, and yeah, kind of yeah. making sure everybody does get to take part and stuff so uh but it's amazing you know it's you know that the, the i don't know, i always forget what it's called but like the subtitle to the book is like uh on beautiful chaos you know <laughs> yeah, and, yeah or the importance and value of creativity where yeah. it comes from and what to do with it but yeah that beautiful chaos is very and you know it, it, uh there's lots of structures put in place but for, but it is quite unstructured uh just to allow people to really to feel free to kind of do yeah, their own thing get you know, into so. yeah the creative yeah. process yeah yeah exactly well so. that's so cool i'm i'm really excited for your book oh, congratulations yeah. thank you yeah. Yeah, yeah and may um would love to yeah maybe. that was richard phoenix richard thank you so much for taking time to have that discussion 
it is really important to touch on topics such as the social model of disability, and I am very impressed with all the work that you're doing. I'm going to be linking Don't Step on My Burger in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. The next person I spoke to is Tamsin Green, who runs Manual Editions. Tamsin's work was really visually stunning, and uh, being a print nerd, I couldn't help but kind of fawn over the handmade qualities and the the various different print methods used uh, in her work, and we had a very interesting discussion about all the things she's doing with manual editions. So here is Tamsin. Tamsin, welcome to Into the Pain podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm very well. Um, so uh, yeah, I kept um, I kept passing by the manual editions table this weekend and was just really struck by uh, the physicality of your work and just how beautiful everything was. So I decided to get the nerve up to come and say hello finally. Um, how's the fair been for you? It's been really lovely at the fair. Uh, it's my first time coming up here with the books. Um, but it's been a really nice atmosphere, I think. There's yeah. been lots of people wanting to engage with work um, and have friendly conversations, which is always great. That's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> How long have you um, been making books? And have you done other book fairs in the past? Yeah, so I've been making books for quite a long time, but I established manual editions in 2021. Okay, cool. And since then, I've been doing a few fairs. Um, I've been to Polycopies a couple of times okay. in Paris. Um, I've done some smaller book fairs in the UK. Um, so I'm kind of feeling things out and yeah. seeing which fairs um, make sense for me to show the work I'm making. Did you go to Polycopies most recently? I think that was like last month or something. I did, yes, okay, cool. a couple of weeks yeah, yeah. ago. Yeah. I have a colleague who was there as well. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wanted to speak to you because, um, again, the the kind of physicality of these books are really amazing and kind of like as a as an audio guide to the fair um, I kind of wanted to to have listeners be able to kind of experience these books in like an auditory way so scale is something that I kept coming back to or substance um, um, sorry I don't know what scale scale and, and substance scale and substance yeah they're both okay. right <laughs> Um, and you have it displayed in this beautiful way. It's kind of like a mountain, um, and it kind of, it, you know, it's sort of reminiscent of working in a dark room where you might be doing kind of like exposure tests. Um, so can you uh, talk me through this publication? Um, and, yeah. Yes, so Scale and Substance was a catalogue for an exhibition that I had in London last year. Um, and the idea behind the book was to rather than replicate the content of the exhibition the idea was to make a publication that complemented the exhibition um, and expanded the idea of these two words of scale and substance so every element of the book um, responds to these words so on the back like you say there is a a kind of exposure scale but the image on the back is also a picture of a mountain um, which talks about to scale as in to climb up something. Okay, um, right, yeah. So everything was was playing with these words. Um, so one side of the publication is 
it's made of eight sheets of paper which go from white to black through all the shades of grey. Um, and then on the other side of the paper, so it's a, a full concertina book, and on the other side it's all texts and drawings which also relate to these two words. Beautiful. So some of the texts are commissioned essays. Um, there's a piece of writing by Ursula Le Guin. Um, there's a piece of writing that I made when I was sleeping out in the landscape yeah. um, in the UK. There's also an interview um, with, with the you with me by okay. the director of the gallery where the Great. exhibition happened. And then there's a couple of manuals which talk about how to make a book and then how to take apart the book and make it into something else. Oh, amazing! <laughs> <laughs> which is also thinking about the fact that all the books that we're making can't exist forever and that I think as kind of responsible makers we should be thinking about the end of life of books yeah, when we're yeah. designing and making them. I think that's that's an interesting conversation that's happening a lot um, amongst like conservators as well um, and makers right thinking about like the lifespan of a work um, mm. and having that in consideration when it comes to yeah, maybe how it's acquired um, later. Um, one of the things that really uh, struck me about this too was also the fact that there's sheet music, uh, and maybe it's just the fact that I'm a um, I'm like a musician by heart and grew up, you know, reading music and doing music theory, and I wanted to just ask about these. Uh, well, they almost wait a minute. It's not sheet music at all. <laughs> Oh my God! It's it's binding binding methods, but it looks like sheet music. That's so interesting. Okay. So that was the idea. So it's it's part of the manual of how to make the book, but the way that it's represented in the book looks almost musical. Yeah. Um, so it's playing with the substance of the of content the composition. as well. Yeah. Oh um, man, that's so cool. So is your practice um, the the exhibition um, was photography? Um, or was it uh, also was it photography in a traditional sense of like kind of darkroom prints or um, or did it was the aesthetic more in line with kind of your publishing work so at, at the back of the back of the book there's kind of diagrams of the work that was in the exhibition and the idea through the exhibition was to show photographic work from two bodies of work mm. one which was about um, exploring salt and the kind of cultural history and landscape of salt and the other body of work was made about the Ordnance Survey map language and right. walking the south coast of England so it took photographs from those two projects um, and there were very large scale photographs um, printed on fabric um, yeah. in the exhibition itself and then interspersed within that were maquettes that I'd made as part of my bookmaking Beautiful, process. Yeah. So I often, when I'm working with books, make miniature versions of books because yeah. they use less materials, but you can still test form. Yeah. Um, and so these small maquettes were um, mounted on the wall. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Um, and the idea of showing things that were very big and vista-like and then very small that you had to go up close to was also about bringing some of my experience of being in the landscape making the work where you stand back and look at big views but then you pick up a rock and you see what it feels like in your hands so I kind of wanted to get these two scales and experiences yeah, yeah. into the exhibition. Wow but I mean I love the way that um, kind of your book making uh, practice kind of seems to be in dialogue with yeah your kind of gallery work it, it all kind of seems uh, very like 
holistic and together. Um, even some of the themes that you're talking about when it comes to uh, sustainability also comes into play in the form of the book itself. Um, can I ask you a little bit more about where um, the geography that you're uh, describing in the south of England, is this the southwest coast of England? or? So that project was made walking um, different parts of the coast. So I didn't walk the whole coastline, but yeah. I walked a lot of different parts of it. So I walked the whole of the coastline of Kent, okay, um, wow. Dorset, um, yeah. most of the coastline of Cornwall, some mm. of Devon. Wow. Um, and then I did some parts of it as day trips um, from London to Sussex and places like that. So some of it was made with point-to-point walks where I'd walk for a week at a time and some of it was day trips um, over about 20 years. So it was like a big archive of images that I started to collect and then I started to think, why am I always drawn to walking this coastal path and what it is about that path itself that always draws me back. Um, And then looking at, I always carry a paper map on these walks, so then I was thinking about the relationship between the language and the map for this coastline versus what I was experiencing when I went to these places. Um, And then seeing how those two things came together within the work. It's so nice, and, and it does feel kind of like there is a relationship between this and how you pull out maps, and but maybe there's a there's a deeper kind of information that's being uh, relayed through this than simply kind of like uh, tracing geograph or like expanding the notion of what geography is. Kind of, um, I don't know if I'm completely off target with that. No, you're yeah. not. So part of why I was interested in it was thinking about like who came up with this language for the map and who gets to decide where the lines go or right, right. who gets to decide that this is one rock versus another and those are all systems of representation that have been invented by, pe- by people but they also influence the way that we experience places that we go to. So the deeper I got into the map language, the more that when I was in the landscape, I saw the map language. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, so it's yeah. also like the, these systems that we build influence the way that people experience the world um, and who can access those things and who can't um, and so it, yeah, it, it was opening up these questions um, Yeah, how these things can affect the way that things go forward yeah amazing so if people yeah. want to uh, to see more from manual editions how, how do they find your work um, do you, uh, are these large editions? Do you have like wide distribution or? So all of the work is made by me by hand yeah. in small editions. So Scale and Substance was made as an edition of 120 books. Um, the other two projects are in even smaller editions, 58 books and 60 books. Um, they're all available on my website and I have an Instagram account. Um, but I also have an artist book library. So okay, every wow. book that I publish goes into the library. Um, for anyone living in the UK, for £10 you can have a week with the book. Oh, that's and amazing. And I post it to your home. Um, I write your name on an old school that's library so label. Yeah. <laughs> and then people post it back at the end of a week. Oh, cool. um, and it's a way of encouraging us to think a bit more consciously about buying versus sharing, yeah, loaning yeah. things, um, and making things in small numbers but still finding a broad audience for yeah. them. And uh, so how does um, how can people, or even listeners, find your artist book library? So it's on my manual editions website. Okay, cool. There's just a tab called library. 
Yeah. And you can just go on there and there's one of each book oh, available. Amazing. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes um, so people can find it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Tamsin. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. <laughs> that was Tamsin Green Manual Editions. Aside from the fact that the books were absolutely beautiful, I love this idea of loaning books out and having her own personal library be something that can be available to anyone in the UK. Speaking of archives and personal collections, the next person I spoke to was Jane Howard, who comes from a background of styling in the fashion photo world, who has been publishing under the moniker of Archivist Addendum with her collaborator, Del Shoda. So let's hear from Jane. Can't, especially men's voices. I really struggle because they're lower. So it all blends I can speak in a higher, higher pitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm here with Jane Howard with Archivist. Yeah, Archivist Addendum. Archivist Addendum, who is yeah. an exhibitor at Bound Art Book Fair this weekend. Um, and Jane was just showing me through this beautiful sort of portfolio box um, that is on display at their table. Um, Can you tell me first a little bit about Archivist Addendum and how that project started? So, um, my, I guess, career started um, as a styling assistant and then I went on to work at uh, Pop Magazine as fashion editor and fashion director for a little bit. Which and magazine did you work Pop for? with Katie Grant. Oh, okay. Grant. Cool. Um, and the, when you work in that um, way of publishing, it's very advertising heavy. So yeah. you have to make sure you shoot every single advertiser and weight it accordingly to pages or who they are yeah. or who it can be shot with who. And So there's a lot of politics sure. involved. Yeah. Um, and basically I wanted to be able to do fashion shoots without that element right so I started by working with Shelley Fox who I was working with on her archive to record it for her website and then she was selling it off um, to move to New York so I did a shoot with a photographer called Axel Holt who I was working with at the time and basically it was it was born from that Mm. Um, the idea of shooting designers that are kind of forgotten um, or where they've been copied by bigger people and right. like the it's origin of design and thought and process and stuff. Um, and then I'd worked with Judith Clark, who is a fashion theorist and exhibition maker, and she was doing the um, Korean handbag museum. Mm. So we shot like handbags that were hundreds of years old That's but amazing. in a very wow. contemporary black and white way so that was like taking it away from doing a product shoot now where everything was super glossy and you know credit and super expensive and then taking something that was hundreds of years old but shooting it black and white yeah yeah um and then the credits were tiny elsewhere so it was only when someone took the time to see the credit they'd realize that it's not something they can buy right right so based on that I then decided not to take any advertising so that I definitely wouldn't be compromised um, so, ba- so it's 
basic one from that and then I uh, shot Hussein Shalayan because um, I worked with him when I first graduated in press uh, so we did a big project with his work then we did some stuff another one the Comme de Garçon and Sheeran Guild and it kind of grew quite organically right um, but apart from the Chloe everything's been self-funded mm. and then in lockdown um, the Courtauld Institute Rebecca Arnold asked if we would be the output for a symposium on fashion interpretations it was called right. so there's a lot of academic people from like Russia America London Antwerp probably some other places I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a factual person no that's okay um and then I, so I, I have um, this box, an old shoe box, a Marnie shoe box that I had when I was at Pop Magazine and when I worked at Hussein. And I used to collect like envelopes that would have the address on and nice stamps or right. like a lookbook that I really liked or um, flyers or CDs. And, right, these um, personal archives. Yeah, just yeah. stuff like, oh, I really like that. I'll just stick it in there. Yeah, yeah. And um like invites to a Margiela show or different stuff that I did at the time and then during lockdown I went up in the loft and had a look and found it mm. and, and I was like oh, I really like that like that it's just stuff and and so I pitched the idea of can we do it as a box rather than a bound publication right. where everything has to be the same size and pretty much on the same paper because of costs and we they gave us a bit it was part funded through the Courtauld but we also had to put our own money in but mm. um, it's basically some of the stuff's photocopied and then so it's really super lo-fi but then other stuff we got printed in Ghent okay. because the in Belgium yeah, yeah. the the, um, the quality of the graphics of some of the super old stuff needs to be super refined right. and yeah. Then we did a fashion shoot in Antwerp and that was sent to um, a printer's where the photographers could go because mm. they were in Belgium where they can check colour balance and stuff. But we, we basically, we hand collated every single element of yeah, it. Yeah, this is amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what resonates with me in this format is actually thinking about, um, yeah, like, my history in the art world and how I have similar boxes of um, handouts, flyers, ephemera, or, you know, special, like specialist pieces of printed matter that um, I, I kind of still like, I don't know what to do with any of this, yeah. but it's important for but you some... You don't want to not have it. Right. And, <laughs> and then you have to think about like what, um, how do you make your archive uh, come to life? right yeah. like um and how it can be maybe uh, a resource for other people right yeah. so yeah. thinking about um actually like having this career in the in uh in fashion photography um now to kind of be working on something where the audience is maybe more academics or students yeah um, putting i'm a stylist it i'm not a photographer okay. so i always right. commission yeah. the photographers um but yeah it's quite hard being a stylist I've a heard I've heard shit really <laughs> yeah but and also isn't the stylist kind of uh, at least in my limited knowledge of this field um, isn't the stylist also the kind of the person that everyone wants to know 
Isn't the stylist the one kind of? Isn't the stylist the one kind of connecting the dots for people? Like you get credited for dressing people. Yeah. But in reality, like, so it's hard. So when I did the Hussein one, then like Hussein Shalayan, that was born out of knowing him from ten years and then doing loads of research and then finding the photographer and doing all the production and like even making lunch for people on the shoot and Mm. like so much work goes into it and then you get a credit of stylist sure you're like actually yeah we need to come up with better terms for this stuff yeah like for the box i i was on the back of the graphics girl a lot about the fonts (laughs) okay yeah like so you're also typist (laughs) yeah and like what you know What's that called? A staple. What yeah. staple is used right. to put the box together? Yeah. Well, it seems. And they only wanted to do one, and it's like you can't do one because that just looks really rubbish. It sure. It has to yeah. be two, and they have to be perfectly parallel. Right. And like. And the color should match yeah, the, the foil color has stamping. To ma- match yeah. the foil font and right, like right. the the eye had too much space between the I and the V and then the S wasn't rounded in the right place to yeah, reflect yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like all of those things that I oversee and then Dal does a lot of the writing and Dal's like amazing at if we think of someone he can kind of elegantly hunt them down. Sure, yeah, that's a big part of creative <laughs> yeah, work too, right? Yeah, and contact. Yeah, yeah, networking. Like a lot of times when we've shot with people, the designers we go to their homes and because they're not they're not through PRs and they're not through massive companies and stuff so it's super direct and like gaining someone's trust and a lot of the time they might not want to look at their work again because it's in the past and maybe something bad's happened or you know the business has folded or you know so it's quite it's it's not a, a normal way of working. Yeah, I don't think any of us work in normal ways. No, in the no, not, yeah. If you're yeah. in hardcore, you know, where you're putting out a magazine every month or every six months, and there's advertisers and there's budgets and there's then it's a machine. Yeah. But this is not a machine. It's sure, like yeah. a horse. No, it feels it feels very personal. I Super think, personal. Yeah. You know, I've worked a little bit with archives as kind of a theme in my curating. Um, and I always like how archives tend to always come back to some kind of, um, you know, personal history or personal interest or yeah. um, kind of biographical story. Um, and do you want to just talk through a little bit of like what's included um, in this edition? Also, how many did you produce? A hundred. A hundred. Okay, yeah. that seems reasonable. Not too yeah. much. Yeah. Still a lot. I mean, it seems. I, d- I don't know whether it's a lot or not enough, but when you're <laughs> right. like collating it, <laughs> yeah, and you have it's a bit like mad. a photo shoot, and you need to do a hundred, and there's twenty five images, and you're putting the credits on the back, and they all have to be in sure. the same order, and then someone goes, "Oh shit, I don't know if I put that one in," yeah, and yeah, you're like, yeah. "No, what box was it in?" <laughs> or even like everything is hand numbered. And just, it's really silly, but just making sure you don't... Fo- oh, we did 150. Okay, yeah. I, I forgot. Oh, that's um, okay. We'll... Uh, yeah, so... Oh, wow, that's good. We did all right then. We've only yeah, got that's, like, a few left. That's actually really, really <laughs> impressive. <I feel> better. <laughs> <laughs> that is mostly the... Has the sales mostly gone to kind of um, specialist um, 
you know, institutional libraries or? Yeah, so we're in like the British Library. Um, yeah. And then we sell through Tender Books. Okay, yeah. Um, in London. So that's our basics. That's our stockist. Great. And then we have... Um, they do distribution for you as yeah. well? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have some direct sales, but not so many. Yeah. Um, we filter everything through there. And then we have um, a company in Japan that stock us. And then okay, we did... Some really beautiful T-shirts for them, so they stock them as well as like yeah. a side thing with Shelley Goldsmith, who's a textiles artist. So we did a little project with, um, and then we have I think it's called Blue Flower Text in New Zealand, mm. and she stocks wow, us. Wow! So you really you have a pretty far reach with this publication. Yeah, but it's not because we went from like the um, bound publication of Archivist, and now we're at a box format of Archivist Addendum. Yeah. And that was during the pandemic, and it was really hard to reach Europe for one because they don't really want to deal with us so much. Sure, yeah. <laughs> because of costs. Right. Um, it's becoming and, nightmarish. Like, even New York and stuff, and they're like, it's a box and it's going to cost loads to get it here, and then we need table space. And there was lots of like, everything seemed to be a problem. Yeah. Of, but then, like, this person in Japan is like, oh, can you send me five boxes? I really like it. And yeah, you're like, amazing. oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and sometimes it happens, and it's so easy. But then other times it's just, like, yeah, yeah it's well, really you know, hard. Well, you know, it almost makes me think, like, for something like this, which seems more special, more handmade, that actually the the specialists might come to you like yeah. the people who yeah. actually have an like the quality of the work from the academics and the writing the like people pay a thousand pounds to read one of these pieces sure. and we've yeah. got like quite a few in there yeah yeah amazing <laughs> and but the idea is to it's because it's i've worked with academics and i've worked with curators and theorists but also hardcore fashion photographers it's really nice to bring all that stuff together because they don't work together. Right. Like yeah. people that do an exhibition in a museum don't work with people who work on mm. pop magazine. Exactly. Like their yeah. minds are so different and the agenda is so different, but the they're all working, working in fashion. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah. kind of, or people that, you know, collect stuff, but no one ever sees it. They're just doing it for their own sure. yeah, love of it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, coming from like the books world and the print world, I, I always noticed that yeah, there was this disparity between people who are like hardcore, like bookmaking people who are like kind of print yeah. heads. Um, and then sometimes the people consuming this who are more kind of like art history minded. Um, it's like the, the vibe in the studio can oftentimes be so different um, yeah. than you know, how it's portrayed in an artist paper or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so I imagine it being similar yeah. in the in the fashion world. Like, yeah, I thought exactly. it would blend a lot more. Yeah. Like, bridge the gap. Yeah. But it doesn't. But Like, everyone stays in their own kind of tribe. Siloed yeah. tribe, yeah. But, I mean, it's nice to see, I think, at this fair, because of the interest of the organizers. Yeah. There's it's a sort varied. of, like, a couple places where I think this... Um, it's it's kind of neither academic nor is it industry yeah. based, but it, I yeah. think it's kind of like um, it's using it, you know it's building on the aesthetic of something that can't be thought of without considering its industry and its commerce. 
but then also the fact that there is a growing interest in this from like an art historical perspective yeah. you know even if we think of like institutions like the VNA and um, and that, that kind of growing interest um, I don't know were there more pieces within this that you wanted to um, highlight I don't know yeah, <laughs> I mean that, the, the, vari- the variation yeah, in like printing we have, techniques we have a poster from a curator in Antwerp and that's basically her wall okay um of when she puts an exhibition together. This is like a... Um, Elisa de Weingart. Is this like a... Uh, what do you call it? Like a mood board? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's super neat. If I did a mood board, it would be all over the place. But, yeah, it's like the, the thought processes that go behind the start of an exhibition. Yeah. Your dreams well, before is, reality hits. And this is great, <laughs> I actually think, for researchers, like we're saying, like researchers and academics, to be able to see this part of the yeah. process, right? Yeah, I'd kind of like to make it a lot rawer and have a lot more unfinished work in there. People yeah. don't seem to want to put that forward. They always want it to have reached a certain level where they feel comfortable that it's going to be yeah. well respected or I think something you, I think you think people uh, you want people to have the box that you have under your yeah, bed or something basically like that. yeah, exactly. yeah that's cool yeah yeah I mean there's so many uh, different variations yeah that's the of, emails back like oh, that okay, she great. sent us regarding the project and stuff so yeah I'd like it to be a, a bit less polished I actually think it's almost um, the 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 process of you building this um, resource out would also be kind of an interesting project in and of itself, mm. like um, like a little documentary or a project or something like yeah. that. You know, um, does Archivist Addendum or Archivist have plans to continue to kind of like branch out into other formats or? We have no money <laughs> to be you and me, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I have lots of amazing ideas. When I was at university, I like I studied fashion, and I used to get bollocked quite a lot, really, because I'd end up in the welding department, or I'd be trying to make films, or right. I'd be doing all this stuff. But that was like in the late nineties. That's apparent and, in, um, in your work. My love, I love film. I yeah. love music, um, food, loads of different stuff. So it would be lovely to do. I'd love to do an exhibition with like a film and um, some music and things like that. Yeah, sure, definitely yeah. like cross-discipline stuff. Yeah, what I've noticed too, because um, again, you know, we were talking about uh, just for a moment at your table, like, but I actually think that people, there might be this perception that the the fashion photography world runs on insanely high budgets that are bankrolled by the luxury brands which I think for like the biggest magazines there might be some semblance of truth there but having seen it it's all about advertising and Instagram followers right yeah I don't really do Instagram and um, we don't take advertising right (laughs) so you're screwed honestly even when we do a shoot like when we did this shoot in uh, Antwerp how I work is not a normal shoot so it will go from like a hardcore like all black outfit um, to something completely opposite and random and the same model can look completely different as a different person right interesting. and I like that that like works in my head but then I realize the photographers get completely thrown 
and in my head I'm thinking but it's a person with stuff on and we're in the same space and I know you have to do the lighting and whatever but can't you just like record it yeah just yeah, record the voice right, right. but a lot of people mm. can't well like, there's they're like what is this what is the story is yeah. it like you know it can be as basic as am I focusing on the belt or am I doing yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. no like, well I think not... that comes from prompts from clients right yeah. right so Who... like we can skip like decades within five minutes it will change yeah and it yeah. can really throw people interesting but I like even like the edit of this of the shoot Dal was not like he's like it's just a bit fucking weird mm. like it's too weird like yeah. I don't understand and I'm like no, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Too it's weird perfect. tends to be perfect. It's in my perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weird weird feels comfortable yeah. to me. Well, it sounds like you both have a good collaboration. Yeah. Is it yeah, just the two of, Yeah. Just the two of you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but uh, what I was going to say before is I think there is this emergence of people who um, have a background... Uh, in sort of more commercial photography, yeah. fashion world, who are actually kind of, um, uh, you know, starting projects or publications uh, based on those experiences that are from a more kind of like intellectual or aesthetic place, mm-hmm. um, you know, recognizing that there is like a ton of talent and um, and craft that goes into producing these shoots yeah. or producing these publications that sometimes I think is uh, mystified by associations with like what uh, what you know how people might identify with the fashion industry which could you know overshadow some of the amazing work that's happening yeah. in the background even from people like who are doing makeup or hair yeah, yeah. right who um, I interviewed a makeup person recently for the podcast um, Aaron Green who's coming up in a couple weeks and it was just fascinating to talk to her about like the life yeah. of like a makeup person and coming up in that field, and um, I think that that often just kind of gets like metabolized by by um, by the industry and not not often so appreciated. But she's actually now very active in these kind of like this crossover of like artist books, yeah, uh, fashion. Um, are, you know, references to students who are, yeah. you know, fashion students. I mean, it's like, like yeah. when when I've worked in like Arena Home Plus or stuff, when I, sometimes the photographers are really, really upset because they do a most beautiful project and then it gets cropped and cut and re-edited right. yeah. and shitloads of text put on the top and then they're just like, fuck, that was not like it's bastardized basically and so my thing was it's really hard and it doesn't always work out because when we have the format of a4 a lot of photographers don't like it because it doesn't fit how they want their image to sit on the page Mm. and that was really hard right so the box was kind of to get out of that but the box is a4 so it's a bit sure it's anything that fits (laughs) in it (laughs) yeah but it's it's just to try and like even as a team on a photo shoots I, I dress the person and then I step back mm. and I don't interfere. I'm not stepping in and moving shit and I'm not telling hair and makeup what they have to do. Like you put your team together and if they're good, you know that they're going to do a good job and you have to yeah. trust their instincts and their ideas. Sure. And sometimes it looks like it's going horribly wrong and sometimes it does go horribly wrong. 
um, but sometimes it's amazing. But yeah. to not be too controlling <laughs> yeah, that's, that's and an... give people that respect and freedom of their work. And yeah. then that that's what the hope is to not like do what some other people do yeah, when they yeah. take and use. Mm. I think it's such a, a different way of working than um, maybe what a lot of kind of like more strictly fine art, I mean, I hate that term, but like studio art people, like painters, like the work is often very like solitary or, I mean, increasingly there are more kind of like um, socially engaged artists or people yeah. who work in publishing. But yeah, to actually think of a photo shoot, it's like you have all of these moving parts Yeah. that um, it must be like a balance between how much do you feel like you want to micromanage yeah and how much do you actually have to just trust that everyone's like being professional and yeah. being good and yeah bringing and something it. yeah because there is a certain aesthetic that comes when you've been working for a long time people kind of assume what you might want right right and you can change how you want things to be so yeah, then it's yeah. like trying not to be what they think you're going to be and like explain this is right. a new thing now a and departure. this can be yeah. yeah yeah cool yeah cool. how many um, how many are left in the edition do you think of this box yeah. I think we've got like 20 something okay yeah so it's a hot commodity <laughs> <laughs> you pick it up at tender books if you're in London Scorchio. yeah <laughs> Yeah, tender books are our dealer. And, and you can find it at the Courtauld in the special collection. Yeah, it's at the British Library as British well. British Library, Central St. Martin's. Yeah, Amazing. Very, very cool. Yeah, well, thank it, you. it was lovely to talk to and you. There you have it, folks. Bound Art Book Fair, Volume 2, thus concluding the Bound Art Book Fair saga. Thanks to everyone who participated in the interviews. Thanks to the fair organizers. Thank you, Manchester. What an amazing city. Hope to be back there next year. We have a lot of great episodes coming up in the December break. I will be trying to catch up and definitely posting weekly. So keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes. Thanks for tuning in and catch you soon.